0: As I was sitting back there listening, that's a real good lead-in to what I had in mind anyway for the Sabbath. Um, it's startling about what's going on, and many times we don't really think of, of what's happening behind the scenes. I know I was trying to find a part for our uh, log splitter yesterday, and a company called Tecumseh who makes and been making small engines for years, are now bankrupt. And to find parts is going to be difficult. So there's things you don't really think about sometimes that are happening. And, and we've gone through these things, and I thought what Darrell was saying was really, you know, I prayed about that this morning, how to, to begin, and, and certainly God has given us an insight of how well we look at Life. How well are we? What are we doing? Uh, I started this sermon, I think the last time I spoke, I thought, I'm quite sure I won't get through it today. Um, I've got five pages here, and seven or eight from last time. But, um, you know, last time I spoke, I tried to point out why a lot of us that are living here, why we came here and you know Revelation eighteen four. I brought that out um, because we read the scriptures and it said, "Come out of this world." In Jeremiah fifty one verse six. It said, "Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul." So you know we've read those scriptures um, and you know those that are living here. We read that. We we heard that and. We decided that we're gonna make that move out of here. Second Corinthians sixteen, I mean, Second Corinthians six seventeen stated, wherefore came come out from among them. So we read that scripture and we made that decision that become separate. We were told to come out of the cities and go to the fields, and you can read that in Micah four so ten. Come to the fields. And we read those things and we believed that. So much of the church doesn't believe those things. And the people in this society, you know, Daryl's reading these things from men who are not a part of the church that for the most part, these people really don't know God, but they see what's happening in society. And, And they're alert to what's going on. But I talk to my children, I talked to some of the people that are in the United Church uh, a month or so ago when I was there. They don't see this. They're not, they, you know, we've got another 10, 20 years. And just to keep going, pay, pray, and stay, and you go all right. Because when the time comes, we'll all flee, we'll all jump on the airplane like we thought in 64. When I came into the church and we talked about 1972, we'd all jump on the airplane and go to Petra. Well, 82, we were going to go. Well, here we are, 2008. We're still here, but we've learned an awful lot more. Did it go over our heads as much as it's gone over the heads of most of the church? Well, we sent out an article on... Passover, and Daryl brought that out. How many people responded? They hear it, they read it, or seen it was from some goofy bunch out there in Arizona who left the cities. So they probably didn't even read it, did they? You know, We didn't come here, brethren, to save our own hides, did we? We might, have think we, we might think we did, but you know, in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 said, the heart, the human mind, our human body is deceitful. And I want us to think about that. Are you deceiving yourself? Why you came to hear? Not everybody that, heard, that has heard these sermons, that sit out there and listen to the sermon tapes, See this. But you have a fantastic opportunity. Those that are on the telephone line here and, and those of us here that God has blessed us. But he says also that our heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. But he goes on in chapter 10 to say that he tries to range the reins of heart. So he looks down on your mind and sees who you are. This is some of the things I brought out earlier. I've said on this last sermon I brought out that we're a setup crew. We're not something special in the fact that we can hold ourselves up and think we're the greatest. A setup crew is just a group of people that are willing to go out there and prepare a place for somebody else. That's about it. You do all the dirty work. But God looks at your heart. He realizes what you're doing. And He's thankful. As long as you don't take the attitude of, I am the great one because I'm given that opportunity. No. God can use anybody. There's not a person alive that's not expendable. God can replace you. You're replaceable. Remember He said... To those that there's a crown waiting for you, don't let anyone take your crown. So that means that you can be replaced. Somebody can take your crown somewhere down the line. We don't have time. I wanted to bring that out last time, that time is of essence. And what did we hear just now? They're talking about major catastrophes coming about. These are people that do not know God, who see society, to see this nation, and see what's happening to our government, to the people who are basically asleep, and who are lulled asleep. You know, the wolf cry, that Darrell brought out there, that one man said, people are alone asleep they don't they're not awake looking at this thing we are given that opportunity and told to look see what's happening so you're not here to save your hide but we have a responsibility and that is to put our nose to the grindstone and our, our, our nose to the or shoulder, however it goes, to get out and do something. More than just sit back and sleep. Ephesians 5.14 says, Wherefore I said, Awake out of sleep. So here, Paul was inspired to write for us today that we were probably asleep. Matthew 25 the ten virgins, all of them went to sleep. And here he says, wake up out of sleep. Romans thirteen eleven, Romans thirteen eleven, And that knowing that the time, knowing this time, and, and the only way you know this time is if you're out there alert and awake and starting to think about it. That now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Forty-five years ago when I first, or forty-six years ago or so, when I first began to believe, am I not closer? Society talks, uh, or the the Mayan calendar talks about 2012. Here we read articles by people who are studying, who are looking into what's going on in the world today, are telling us, that this country is going to come apart. Do we believe that? Are we wide awake, or are we like 90% of the church, sitting there thinking, I'm okay, I go to church every Sabbath, and I do these things because I'm okay. Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6.10. This is just the prelude we're getting into. 6.10. As we have therefore opportunity. Do we have an opportunity today? I mean, those of you listening on the telephone line and those sitting here, are we given an opportunity today? Ask yourself, am I given some special opportunity? Let us do good unto all men especially to those who are of the household of faith. Are we, as a group here, when we first came out here, when something needed to be done, I remember when we put this building up, when we, when we marked the land out, when we put the roads in, we put the water lines in, everybody that could do anything at all was there. They put their heart into it. It didn't make any difference whether it was me, no, it was for the good of the brethren. Are we doing that today? Has our, and the sermon is on commitment, is our commitment the same today that it was eight years ago? I know when I first came into church in, in 63, I committed a lot. But I know that I went to sleep just like the rest of the church. And my commitment went downhill. But thankfully, for each one of us, God is so merciful that He gave us a second calling and we were able to see that we were asleep. The church became Laodicean. Are we still Laodicean? Is our commitment still strong enough that we're willing to get out and do good for each and every one of us? Or do we put limitations? Do we limit what I'm going to do? I'll do that for that person provided I got everything for myself done first. Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without and redeem the time. Time's running out. 19, I mean, sorry, 2009 now. 2009. Predictions we heard. Things are going to occur this year. Are you redeeming that time? Prayer? Bible study? Committing yourself? to God as much as He wants us to be committed. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says whatsoever your hand finds to do, we are given an opportunity here. We don't always understand exactly what's happening. We don't have to really. But if we're given something to do, It's inspired to write to us today, do it with your might. Put your wholehearted effort into it. I was thinking this morning, Southern California, probably Phoenix and Tucson, and Southern Florida, or most of Florida, has some of the highest death rates. Why? Because people retire from doing their work, and they go back, and they sit down, and they want to play a little golf or watch TV, and you know, they don't live long. They really don't live long. had a friend back in Fort Myers. I remember him going over to his house. I put bees on his property. Um, he plowed a, about a i guess it was about a half acre of, uh, of a garden and he had this big wheel and this little piece come down behind it and he pushed it and that's how he plowed the rows and he wanted to increase his chicken coop, so what he did was he dug fence posts with one of these mechanical things. You know, you stick them down the ground and you pull a lever apart and stick it out. You know? Hand-dug fence posts. What was so spectacular, the man was 90 years old. And what was really phenomenal to me was his children thought, well, he's not going to make it, so they had him brought to Texas. Well, you'll live with us, Dad. We'll take care of you. They had him there for a couple of months, put him in a nursing home, and in three months he was dead. Because he quit working. He lost all initiative to do something. We can't lose that initiative. That's why we're told to redeem the time. You know, you might hurt. But, keep going. You can't quit. You cannot quit. So I'm going to talk today about calculating that commitment that you have made. When you were baptized the first time, you said, I'm going to go your way, Christ. I'm going to walk hand in hand with you. And what did the church do over the years? They lost that commitment. They forgot what they said, I will do. Like Israel has done from the time Israel was created. You know, God blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, put them into slavery, if want to find out whether you're going to be mine or not. Gave them an opportunity, carried them out into the wilderness, gave them everything. First opportunity, they forgot their commitment to their Creator. God's given you and me a lot of opportunities. I want us to think about that commitment today and calculate the risks involved in that. Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. And this is interesting when you listen to what Emmanuel said to those individuals at that very moment in time. And this was to us. To today, because we know Mr. Armstrong said this Bible was written for us today many times throughout the past eight years. We've read and read and read and read how it applies to today, in the end time, in the last days. The Bible is written for us. So here Matthew says in verse 21, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord. How many people say that in the church? Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's God's government that's going to be installed. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So here he says, I don't care if you say, I go to church every Sabbath. I occupy a seat. I pray and I I study. He says, not everybody that does that We'll make it into God's government. You have to be doing, he says, the will of my Father. So we made a commitment, didn't we? Almost all of us have been rebaptized in the name of Emmanuel. When we were rebaptized, we said, I will do it your way. Am I doing it your way? Apparently, there are a number of people that have said, "I do it, I'm doing I'm yours, Lord, hand in hand with you, Lord. But he said, "Not everybody that says that because they're not committed enough to walk the walk. Matthew nineteen again, here's a case where as a man who wanted eternal life. Matthew 19. begin in verse 16. Matthew 19:16. So here's a person that was looking for a way to gain eternal life. Just like you. Like me. Like the church. Hundred and some thousand people before the church broke the pieces and split apart like they show the nation, this nation going to do. Verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Have you ever asked that question? What do I have to do that I can be a part of the bride of Christ? Emmanuel said, Why call you me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And so we maybe fudge here and there. Because we're human, don't we? It's easy to to slip a little bit now and then, isn't it? Or to not look at yourself, but look at other people. I mean, I can see my wife's faults all the time. I don't want her to tell me mine. I mean, I'm afraid for her to <laughs> pinpoint all my mistakes. And I certainly haven't asked Darrell about it because I'm sure he could make me feel about an inch and a half tall. I had that happen once, being in sound for almost all the time I've been in church and back in the odd fellows hall, and these were really odd people. Back when we didn't have transistors and all this fancy stuff they've got today but vacuum tubes and we set everything up and everything worked like it's been here once in a while. But being electronics and man-made, the amplifier quit. Just as a young man coming from Big Sandy giving his first sermonette from college and the amplifier quit and Charles, Dorothy walks by, and you're, you're struggling, and he says, why don't you check it out ahead of time? Well, you know, we did, but it's human, and it, you feel pretty low. But here, you and I were told that if we're going to have eternal life, we've got to keep God's commandments. And the young man said, which, Emmanuel said, you shall do no murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, shall honor your father and your mother, and you, shall ha- and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he gave him the things that physical people do with each other. He gave him the last six commandments, you know. And the man goes on to say, And the young man said to him, all these things have I kept from my youth. What do I lack? You lack being committed. That's what he lacked. Because we can say that too, can't we? We love our neighbors as ourselves. We honor our parents, whether we're young or old. We all have parents. We don't steal, we don't murder, and we don't commit adultery, and all these things. We can say that, can't we? You can say that. Emmanuel said, If you will be perfect, so he gives us a, a direction here, if you will be perfect, go sell all you have, and give the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, And notice, an important factor, come and follow me. It was hard for that young man, wasn't it? Because he was rich. We in this country today are richer than 90% of the world, even if we only live in a mobile home. We don't hear today in this country hundreds of people who are homeless because they lost their new homes. Maybe thousands and thousands of people who don't have a place to live. But we have something. And Christ says, come and follow me. You have to ask, I have to ask myself this morning, am I that committed, I'm ready to follow Christ at whatever he asks me to do? Or do I have to find an excuse of not doing it? Whatever he asks me to do. Then Emmanuel said unto his disciples, Truly I say to you that rich that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? because he's put too much emphasis on the physical surroundings, the physical things he has. That's why we have to calculate our commitment to doing it God's way. We don't want to find ourselves so locked into our physical life. I think of someone like Paul, Saul who's made Paul, changed his name to Paul. He wasn't locked into this life and the physical things. His commitment was at this point. He said to the Creator, to Emmanuel, I will give up eternity, if, but my family can be a part of your way of life. That's a commitment that you have to calculate. Am I ready to do that same commitment? We've been going through sermons on marriage and a husband and wife, a commitment there. And it's good because it's a physical thing to teach us that a husband and a wife are two, you know, becoming one, and you're so committed when you get married that, you're, that when I was married, The commitment was, I will take my wife in rich, in poor, in health, in sickness, killed. I no longer exist. I made that commitment. We're already going toward a marriage with Christ. Are we ready to make that commitment? I will be with you till I no longer exist. I'm not going to sway some other direction, and it, there's a lot of pulling out there. Satan would like to get you. remember Christ's comment to Peter? He said, "Peter, Satan wants you. He wants to sift you with like sand, but I won't let him. Satan would like to sift you like sand. Because of all the people in the world, he's not worried about that. Satan is not worried about that. He's only worried about those that are locked into Christ. And how strong is that commitment? Will you be willing to give up? Flip aside. If you do, you know, Peter was said resist the devil, resist those pools that come out of it, and what was this young man told? All those fools. They pull you away from the commitment that you made when you were baptized and said, I will walk hand in hand, and no matter what you say, I will do that. So I think we all need to sit back and say, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care what happens around. I'm not worried about the county. I'm not worried about the state not worried about all these other governments, and we've been told time and time again, it's going to be those that love God, that are so committed to Him, they are not going to be swayed against the world. A handful of people, basically in comparison to, what, six billion people today? Just a handful of people. They're going to be against us. And the only way you'll make out is if you analyze that commitment to say, I'm not going to change. I won't change. What did Daniel do? They told him, you will bow down to the king. And Daniel said, I'm committed to God and God only. Well, we'll throw you in the lions then. So what? I'm still going to do it God's way. Joshua said, I don't know what the rest of you are going to do, but he said, as for me and my family, we will serve God. That's the commitment that we have to form in our mind. Luke chapter 9. We have to have that type of commitment. Luke 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went along the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now we made that commitment, that baptism. We're going to follow you, Lord, wherever you go. Have no problem. Not a problem. Man, I understand it. I love you. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it. Then Emmanuel said to him, Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has not a, not where to lay his head. You saying, at this point in time, I don't have a place to lay my head. You're going to stay with me? You're going to go out here and tent? You're going to stand in the snow? You're going to, you're going to dig? You're going to do all these different things? I don't have a place to lay my head. Are you really going to stay with me? Are you that committed? But he, let's see uh, and he said to another follow me but he said Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father is our commitment such that well, I need to spend time with my family first and, uh, and, and that's more important really right now than to do what you want me to do. Am I going to do that? Am I going to give that up? Emmanuel said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. So we have to do our part. No, we're not going to be the two witnesses, each individual. I don't expect that God could ever do that with me. But as we are told that those that support God, that are committed to doing things His way, will be there to back them up, and they will be preaching the kingdom of God. They won't be going off back to the world. It's basically what He said. You can't be committed to me and be going off into the world. You can't have one foot in the world and one on a banana peel and the edge of a grape, Because yeah, it won't work. You can't straddle a fence. You wouldn't want to straddle a fence if it was made out of razor wire, would you? So you have to be either God's way, committed 100%, or Satan's way. And another said unto him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at my house. Is that person committed to God, a hundred percent? He put something in front of his Creator, didn't he? I got something better to do than to really follow you. I this I got to do this first. First things first, you know. My family, my property, my house—all uh, these first things are first. Verse sixty-two. And Emmanuel said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So once we've made that commitment to go out and do it God's way, we cannot turn back. It's so sad to look back in 94, When so many people turned back. So sad that people who said they were committed, they were ready to go the whole way, turned around and went back the other way. This is to you and to me, and to the church that's willing to be committed to God, committed to Christ, saying, I want to marry Christ, We cannot turn back to this world, to the physical surroundings and the physical things. We just can't do that. Because, as he said, if you do, if you put more emphasis on something else, you are not fit for God's way of life. So, we have to calculate that commitment before we make it. Sometimes people never made that real calculation ahead of time, calculating and thinking, well, if I do it this way, that means I've got to do it this way. I can't change. I have to do it the whole way. Because you will find if you don't, you're not going to be where you want to be. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Verse 17. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. So, you're not to turn around and go backward. You must continue on the path going forward. Too many times the people in the church took one step forward and two back. And sometimes they take three steps forward and two back. God says you don't do that. You take one step forward and then another step forward and then another step forward. You have to continue to go forward. Neither let him, verse 18, neither let him which is in the field turn back to take his clothes. Again, He's saying to us that we cannot go back into this society no matter how hard we want to. You have to fight it. You have to resist it. We can't go back into this world. If you do, someone else will obtain the crown that you really want Because God cannot have someone turning back. Verse 19. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that are uh, that give suck in those days, because the time is going to be pretty rough. First, Second uh, Peter 2, Second Peter 2, verse 20. Second Peter 2, verse 20. We've got to go forward. For if after they have escaped the pollution of this world through the knowledge of our Savior, Emmanuel, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse than that of the beginning. Here he's telling us again, we have escaped the pollution of the world, the pollution of the wrong gods, the wrong way of life, all these things that are contrary to God's way of life, we've escaped that. He gave us an opportunity. He opened our understanding. We can't go back. If we go back, the end is worse than the beginning. For it had been... Better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it, turned from the holy commandments delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, a dog is turned to his own vomit again and a sow is washed to the wallowing in the mire. We're called to come out of a horrible way of life. Oh yes, it's tough, isn't it? We're set, we're we're opposed by everybody around, even many in the church. But you can't go back. You have to calculate that commitment that you made. Is it truly what you want to do? It's something important to do. In calculating your commitment, you have to realize that you have to live by faith. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to read this from the New King James. Hebrews 10. Where we're living, we're told we have to live by faith. Hebrews 10 verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Think on that. You've committed yourself to doing it God's way. If you willingly go contrary to that way. We're told by God, by Emmanuel, through Paul, that there is no longer any sacrifice to pay for that sin. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. So, you look at the commitment that you made. And I don't care what, you know, as children, if we teach our children to be committed to their family, or if they're doing something, if we teach them, if you've chosen that and you've committed to do that, do it with your heart, do it the best you can, that will carry over into their young adult life and into their older life and in their families, and Once, like the script, like the proverb says, if you train up a child in the way he should go, he's committed in the way he should go, he'll never change. He'll stay with it. So, parents have a responsibility to teach their children commitment. And some of that commitment is your example on how you live. Are you truly committed? If you're truly committed, to everything that you do, and especially to God, your children will see it and they will then believe that too, and they will be committed. But if you're wishy-washy, they will be too. Unless God happens to reach into them, into their mind, and open it up, turn the light bulb on, turn the switch on, and they see what they have to do. Verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So when they look back, they said in the time of Moses and God gave those laws, if you broke those laws and there were two witnesses, they were put to death, weren't they? Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled... The Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which He was uh, sacrificed as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. If we turn back, we're trampling on the death of God. So if those people who broke the law and there was two people said they did it, They were put to death. What's going to happen to anyone who has said, I'm going to do it your way, and turned around and went backward? They actually are walking on, stepping on the sacrifice of Christ. And there is no second chance. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. Says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We're being judged right now. We are called his people. And we're being judged by him today. But Recall the former days in which, after you, uh, you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle of suffering, partly while you were made a uh, spectacle both by reproach and tribulation, and partly while you became a wow. companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, Paul, speaking of the fact that how he was, joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So we have to analyze what's held up in front of us. Yeah, we might go through trials and tribulation, but what is offered to us? So when you're calculating your commitment, look at what's at the end. If I take my commitment lightly, what's at the end? If I take my commitment seriously, wholeheartedly, what's at the end? Marriage, if I take it seriously. Death, if I take it lightly. So we have that responsibility. Verse 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. So we have to have faith. Romans, I mean Hebrews 11 says, faith is things hoped for and the evidence of that which we have not received. So we have to live by faith that what God promised, He will do. He won't slack on it. But if we turn back, again in verse 38, but if if anyone draw back, Emmanuel said, my soul has no pleasure in him. So think about what you're doing with your life. You can say, I go to church every Sabbath and I'm doing all these things. But if we draw back from that original commitment, Christ says, I have no pleasure in you. Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk 2. Verse 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not right in him, upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So if we turn back to the up, upright, if we turn back, but we are to live by faith. That's what he's telling us in Habakkuk. Romans 1.17 says, The just shall live by faith. Again. God speaking through Paul. Again in Galatians 3.11, it says, the just shall live by faith. How many times do we have to be told? We have to have faith that God will be there to help us. And even if it looks difficult to make, even if the pressure seems to be so great and the pain and suffering is horrible, it says, believe me, You have a better way of life in front of you. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. How did we come to be in this place we're in today. What brought you here at this point in time? Sometimes we want to say, well, Mr. Armstrong brought me. And we hold him on such a high pedestal that he's the greatest one around. And then some might say, well, this other minister, they, they, they were the inspiration of my life and they are the greatest around what brought you here? verse 6 Paul said I have planted we can look out here and say Mr. Armstrong for the most part planted he put the seed out he planted the seed Someone else watered it. Here it said, Apollos watered. We might say this minister, might say Daryl, we might say whoever it was down the line. They watered. But notice what Paul had to say. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It was God who gave that increase. So then, neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but God that gives the increase. So the emphasis is, yes, we were planted the seed in our mind through a human being. And we've been watered, we've been given the spiritual food all the time, time and time and time constantly being watered that we can grow into some spectacular tree. But he said, are they important? Are they the most important part of this scenario? No, it is God. All that was done is for the relationship to look toward God. It is God that gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that waters is is one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So, we have to do something. We're not going to get to be a part of the bride of Christ because Daryl taught you something. He's not going to get you into the family of God. What gets you there? is your commitment to doing it God's way. All that you are receiving, all the knowledge that God imparts to us through a human is only to help us keep that commitment and to grow and to work. You have to do it yourself. You will never make it in on the coattails or the dress tails of your wife or husband or the minister, or some other person. They can never get you into the kingdom of God. They can only water you. They can only water and water and water and and help you by giving you the spiritual nourishment to help you grow. But you'll never grow if you are not committed to doing it yourself. If you can't say, I'm going to do it and I don't care what happens... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember? You will bow down to my idol. And they said, I'm bowing down to your idol. Do you have that commitment? Do they walk in this door and say, I'm going to shoot the first one that will get down and pray? Are you going to get down and pray? Or maybe if you don't come out and do it, turn in whoever, they come in and say, if you don't turn in those that are the leaders, we're going to shoot you. You're going to say, well, I guess you'll shoot me because I'm not going to turn them in. These men said, I am not bowing down to some thing no matter what. And they said, we'll throw you in the fire. You can throw us in the fire. Even if we were thrown in the fire, even if we're going to die, we're not turning and giving up the commitment that we made. We have made a commitment, and I don't care what happens, I'm keeping that commitment. And we know they threw them in the fire, and what happened? It worked out for the king's understanding, and to show that there is a God. And they were living by faith, like we're told that we must live by faith. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Isn't it inspiring to realize that we belong to God and we are God's building and all that we're given is helping us to become a bride of Christ. And according to the grace of God which is given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another built thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. How are you building your spiritual house? Paul put it out there. He said, I laid the foundation. Mr. Armstrong laid a foundation. We're told the foundation is the apostles and prophets and Christ the chief cornerstone. Are we building on that foundation? For other foundations can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Emmanuel. So we are building on Him. It takes your commitment to say, I'm going to build that. You can't go out there and build a haphazard building. Now, if any man builds upon this foundation, notice he gave some inspiring, inspiring things. Gold, silver, precious stones, hay, wood, and stubble. You know, if you build out of gold, gold lasts. Silver lasts. Precious stones are lasting Wood, hay, stubble, they can be burned up. You don't want your house built out of wood. Specifically, you wouldn't want to build out of hay or stubble. You want to build it on something phenomenally strong. It goes on in verse 13. Every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall Uh, Declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. God tried the nation of Israel. They couldn't stand up because they didn't have the commitment to do that. Are you going to be able to stand up? When the trials come, we're talking about trials. Heavy, hard trials. And my trial won't be like your trial. Because I might be strong in one area and extremely weak in another. And you're strong in probably the areas that I'm weak in. But you're still going to be tried and see are you committed Are you really committed to doing it God's way when that trial hits? So we need to then calculate what we said we would do. I will do it God's way. I am going to walk hand in hand with God. And I'm not going to turn back to the world and the world of things. In Psalms 100. 27 verse 1 states, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watch in vain. Christ has to be building with you. Committed to it, He'll help you. Turn your backs, walk back to the world, and he says, my soul will have no pleasure in you. you got to walk forward. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. And We've read this time and again. We've written sermonettes. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Emmanuel. So here we're a spiritual house. A spiritual house committed to God will offer up spiritual sacrifices. you be willing to sacrifice other things. You will not turn around and go back into your old way of life to get something that you think you desperately need in order to make it farther God's going to give you everything you need as long as you commit to him so think about well am I going to do that what, what's out there that will sway me to give up Hebrews chapter 3 Hebrews chapter 3 Verse 3, For this man is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he has built the house, uh, he has built the house, has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that builds all things is God. Everything that is permanent, is made by God. Matthew 25 again. Verse 6. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. The church went to sleep. The whole church went to sleep. Then, uh, uh, at midnight, verse 6, the bridegroom came, go you out, the call came, the bridegroom came, come out to meet him. So we know we're close to that time. The call is going to go out. I think for us, in a sense, we've heard the call. The bridegroom comes. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Here's a group of people who said, I'm going to walk God's way. I'm going to do it His way but we all went to sleep, didn't we? We all slept. But then the call came out, and the bridegroom's coming. He's coming. Wake up. Get up out of sleep. We trimmed our lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Well, I can look at us and see that we kept some back, didn't we? We had oil in our lamps. The vast part of the church didn't have oil. And here they want some of your oil. How can you give them oil? The oil is the spirit of what you've been learning and dwelling on. and Because you committed to doing it God's way, you studied more and you prayed more and you kept doing it things God's way. How can you take all of that, your knowledge, your efforts, your commitment, and give that to somebody else? It can't be done. That's an impossibility, isn't it? You cannot give what you have, spiritually speaking, to someone else. You can tell them. The minister can preach it. He can point your nose to it. He can do like they say. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. You can tell him you need to study, you need to change, you need to... Uh, commit yourself to whatever cause that God has set in front of you, but you can't make them do it. And the foolish virgins asked for more oil, but the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go, you rather, to them that sell and buy for yourself." Go out and get your nose to the wheel again. Go out there and make some changes in your life. We are told we're running out of time. You heard it in the announcements. You're running out of time. Wise people will think, Hey, I ain't got time to play around any longer. I ain't got time to waste time. All I have time to do is to get with the program and do what I'm supposed to do. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, because here were people that were not ready. While they were out trying to get ready, the bride came, or the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. You have an opportunity. We're told right now, look what's happening in this world. Are you preparing? Are you ready? Or you have to go out and buy more? Because when Christ returns and He invites the bride that's ready in, He's going to shut the door. And then where will you be? <laughs> you have to be doing it today. Afterward came also those that were not ready. Oh, we've we, we got ourselves ready now. We've we been, we been doing all these things. And afterward they came saying, Lord, Lord what, what we read earlier in Matthew chapter 7, Lord, Lord, open unto us. We read that in Matthew 7. Even those that say, Lord, Lord, and are not doing my will, he's already shut the door. You will not be given an opportunity to enter into the marriage if you're not preparing now and if you're not committed to doing it God's way. But, listen to this. But Emmanuel answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, I know you not. Are you being committed? Have you committed to doing it God's way? We must, we desperately need to take the time because we now are at a point in time where if we listen, we can see that time is literally running out extremely fast. Faster than what you think. Any of us that are in our 70s and up, we can look back 50 years ago. That was just like a blinking time, wasn't it? When you think back, we're talking about now just a couple years. Not 50 years, not 40, 30, or 20. We're talking about a few years here that we can do something to become ready to serve God. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and increased in goods. Isn't that what these people said? They came to Christ and said, Lord, Lord, look at us. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. Spiritually, I've done this and this and this and this and this. And You can list a whole big long line or list of things that I did. Increased in goods and have need of nothing. I don't need any more. Except righteous clothing. I don't need anything more. And know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked because they have blinded their eyes to what God wanted and we've had this commitment that we've kind of let slide to the side. (laughs) You know, kind of put it aside. And he goes on and it shows that he shut those out. He rebuked them. He threw up the church. And so the church came to pieces. Does God look at you as part of the throw up? Or part of a spiritual loving person that has committed to him and walking that way? I want to go back to Matthew 7 again in closing. But I want to state one of the worst possible things, if you want to sit down and think about this, put yourself there, Your name here, the worst thing that can ever be said to a human being You know, I said when Dr. Dorothy came by and said that to me, I felt like nothing. I want you to think of this. This is the worst possible scenario that could happen to a human being. Matthew 7, verse 23. And when and then will I profess to them those people who have fallen short of that commitment that they made to Him, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Do you want to stand in front of your Savior and say, But I'm Nelson. It's not in my book. I never knew you. How committed are you? said, I never knew you depart from me you that work iniquity are you calculating your commitment are you committed that much to God that makes no difference about anything else you are going to do it his way if it is your life because it is your life I pray that none of us will be at that position in life that we stand in front of Christ and realize the door has been shut to the marriage and he says to you through the door, I never knew you. Are you committed to him?